Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I'm joined by Doug McElhaney and Mohammed Asser of McKinsey. Doug and Mohammed recently co-authored a paper about external data, a word for alternative data used by corporates. In our conversation, Doug, Mohammed, and I discuss the differences between external and alternative data, how McKinsey's clients extract value from external data, and challenges in risk management around using external data. Doug and Mohammed also provide advice to alternative data providers around how to make their offering more attractive to corporate clients. So in this episode, I'm joined by Mohammed Asser and Doug McElhaney of McKinsey. Thank you very much for joining me, Mohammed. Thank you for, for having us join, Mark. And Doug. Great to be here. Great to talk about this. Excellent. Um, so you're both from McKinsey. So that's a, that's a first for me and for the Alternative Data podcast to have someone from more of a kind of classic consulting background um, and, and someone from your position. So that's in itself, it's interesting. Um, but the other reason we're talking now is that you guys have just um, authored a paper on um, external data. Um, and so why don't we begin, perhaps, because external data is something we've touched on on the Alternative Data podcast, but it's it's not a, um, you know, it's, it's obviously it's part of it, but not. So why don't we begin just by maybe one of you could explain uh, how you see the difference between external data or and alternative data, and that's if there is one. Maybe I'll jump in on this one, and Mohammed, uh, you should chime in as well because you have a, a view of kind of the broader ecosystem. You know, I, I I think of the term somewhat interchangeably because I think the use of external versus alternative kind of depends on where you come from relative to consumption um, and how you use uh, other. Uh, types of data that maybe you don't have within your your enterprise. And certainly alternative is a lot more, that term is more used in the financial services arena and investing arena, but effectively, you know, they're looking for data outside of their organization that can provide insight as to what they um, are aspiring to do, which is make smarter investments. If I'm in industry in some form, whether that be insurance or something else, I'm looking for the same thing. I'm looking for information and data that sits outside of my enterprise that will help me uh, do what I do every day, smarter, better, faster, um, and achieve, you know, a better, a better economic output. So I, I don't, re I see them pretty interchangeably uh, in more, I see this sort of universe of just other data that sits outside that I can go procure to do what I do better. I'm going to Bahamut if you can. Yeah, Doug, I, I agree with you on that. And one thing I'll add is I think alternative data really puts a lens on some of those new data sources that are becoming available. You know, we think about often external data, if you were to break it out into two, like traditional data, maybe data that has has been collected, you know, whether it's panel data or, you know, some private industry data, these are sort of data organizations that have long existed. When you start thinking about alternative data, I start thinking data that has just become available more recently, often coming from the digital exhaust uh, from many, many different services, whether that be on, you know, uh, web traffic or whether that be coming at the back uh, of apps uh, and services that then are, you know, monetized and could have insights 
that can ultimately impact decision making. And with exactly with Doug's point, um, I, I think that the excitement and energy now has been around many of these new data sources and how can you use these new data sources to truly you know, change the way decisions are made, not just in the financial services world, but now also with uh, you know, large organizations. I suppose one potential difference might be that from an alternative data perspective, one definition, although there are lots of definitions, but one definition of alternative data is kind of everything that's not traditional data. And one way that you can kind of say that is kind of everything that's not traditionally on Bloomberg, although Bloomberg would hasten to differ because they are adding alternative data sources all the time. But, you know, when we say traditional data, then we think of all the the kind of traditionally available corporate information and, and, you know, GDP and, you know, all these, all these, what you think of financial data. Um, I suppose a question might be, if you're a corporate and you're looking for data to help advise you on your, on your company choices, external data, would they perhaps include that traditional data in their, in their phrase for external data as well? So potentially external data is a, a wider term. Is that possible? No, I, I, I like the framing, um, you know, because if you think about, I, I come from serving the insurance industry, you know, all of the insurers typically have an investment arm. And so they would, by large part, be using the traditional data that investors would be accessing in order to inform their decisions. <clears throat> and broadly speaking, they're all that group along with the rest of the organization is looking for ever, uh, you know, newer more innovative types of information to inform not just that activity, but, 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 you know, the rest of what they're doing. So you can almost imagine a bit of a funnel, right? Where I have my, my internal data sources and my traditional data sources, which would apply both in terms of financial uh, operations of financial investing, as well as traditional data sources used for basic operations within a, within an industry. So if you imagine with um, insurance, it would be things like credit reports, um, basic information about property that I get from my insureds. And then the broadening of the funnel even further, which is what can I find outside of this arena that would be informative and helpful as I run my business. Okay, that's great. And so, um, Mohammed, you are um, chief data officer at McKinsey, so kind of king of data. Is external data, um, is that what your job it was kind of created to serve or previously McKinsey might've been focusing on internal data for companies and external data is just an, an added thing, which is, which has come up in recent years. Mark, uh, great question. You know, my role is primarily around data innovation at the firm and data innovation entails the firm building new data assets and having access to data to help provide the best guidance for our clients. And that can take a number of forms. One of those is partnering with a number of the, you know, the sort of newer alternative data providers, in addition to the traditional data providers. Uh, there's, there's tremendous value in both, quite frankly. Um, and then, you know, uh, leveraging those data assets, whether that be in our advanced analytics work or in market insights around how consumer patterns, consumer behaviors are changing. This has been uh, increasingly important as, as we thought about COVID. Uh, and, and responding to COVID because so much has changed, you know, models that were used in the past are not necessarily predictive of what's going to happen in the future. So understanding how consumer demand, how shipping behavior, how all of these different types of aspects have changed, external data really helps influence that. But in addition to that, we do partner with many of our clients 
to build benchmarking types of assets where we're, we're helping our clients understand how they perform relative to their peers. And so it's a mix. It's, it's really a mix, but ultimately it's around how do we use data to help drive decision-making and long-lasting impact for our clients. Okay. And so, and that's can be both internal and, and external from a client perspective. It's, it's their own data to understand where they, where they fit in, but also the external data that you can get hold of. Um, that, that I think that makes sense. Um, and so let's talk about, let's talk about data sets. I mean, so, um, Doug, I know you're, you're more insurance focused. Um, Mohammed, you, you kind of, you cover the whole spectrum. Do you, you can, you can speak across the sectors. That's right. Perhaps one or both of you could talk about the challenges in getting hold of of, of a data set and 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 um, how you identify a external data set which could be useful for a client. It's a great question because I think the process is evolving rapidly. Um, you know, I, I call the external data ecosystem a bit of the wild west because anything can happen at any time. Something could come on board. Uh, you could have uh, one of the existing vendors quickly innovate and you know create a couple of new products in a short order, and then stuff could disappear. Um, what what existed last year might get gobbled up and shut down because the competitor buys them. So navigating this this world is actually a bit of a challenge, and I think this is one of the primary reasons why you see the emergence of the, the data broker or the data distribution platforms, because what's really emerging is an ability to discover. Discovery used to be, go talk to people who kind of have an insight about what's out there or hire somebody who can go find data for you uh, and then hope for the best, right? Did I talk to enough people? <clears throat> Did I get lucky, <clears throat> have a vendor show up? Now you can actually go to platforms like Explorium um, or the AWS Data Exchange and, and do more structured discovery at a product vendor data field level to try to determine and, and identify stuff that could be accretive to what you're building. Um, and that's great, but it's really only the kind of the first step of many that you need to think about as you start to discover what could be useful in the context of solving the problem that you're addressing. So we just think about the basic process. I think much more now it is still, um, you know, part of it is still how, how connected are you to the broader network so that you can by word of mouth or by, um, you know, a, a fairly reasonable and expansive search, find what you're looking for, but more so now identifying and getting connected to those platforms that, that'll, that provide that, that level of, uh, discovery in one place um, that can be pretty effective. So that that's become a bit more of the norm. In terms of just 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 quickly on that, Doug, before yeah. before we move on. But um, I mean, in terms of discovery, and you're saying that these platforms have made it perhaps a little bit more efficient the the kind of access to and and hopefully finding the right data set for your problem. But but as I understand it like testing the data set, or at least from an alternative data, from an investor perspective, testing the, the, the data set in order to find out if it has value is itself very time consuming. And so that is very restrictive because, you know, you can only really have time to test three or four data sets to know if they've got what you want inside. Is that, do you feel, do you feel that problem has been on its way to being solved or is that still a problem for you as well? Um, so yes and no. Um, in terms of this, has it been solved? <clears throat> so 
this question of how long does it take to evaluate a, a data source and its potential impact, this is a great one. And it's one that is an active dialogue in my industry and, and several others. Uh, and the reality is it can be solved and has been solved, uh, but you have to apply a pretty well-structured approach to it. So if we just break this down, you know, the first question is, can I go and identify a spectrum of products, data products that has some sort of reasonable uh, propensity or probability of, of being accretive to the problem I'm solving. So, so just discovery, right? Then you move into the second phase, which is how do I evaluate them? Because you want to have a mix of quantitative and qualitative criteria uh, in order to really start to establish, is this data source actually helpful in some fashion? Is it moving, is my, my, is my model improving because I'm incorporating this data? The next question, the next part of that that you have to sort of solve for is, how do I do that in incrementally larger kind of tranches of data? Because what I might be modeling against or otherwise evaluating initially is a, a thousand records, which gives you signal, but it's pretty weak. And it's not something that you want to kind of bet a large, uh, you know, uh, product license on. So you have to work through a, a you know, 1,000 records to 10,000 records to 100,000 to where you're effectively down selecting from multiple options to the point where you get those few data sources that really are accretive uh, by every measure that you would apply there. Then you invest and you're off to the races. Now, to your question on, you know, how much time does that take? If you invest in building that as a repeatable process, you actually can achieve a state where I can be uh, evaluating you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 data products in the course of a year, because I've boiled this down to a two to three week process and I can do it in parallel. I can have a small team that's out there hunting, pulling in, evaluating, and being able to go back to a vendor in the course of two to three weeks to say, you know, you, you say this is an awesome data product. It did pretty well in our evaluations. Here's the, here's the result. This is what we believe its value is to us and what we'll pay for it. So you can actually do that, but you have to invest in building that capability in order to achieve that level of scale. It's an interesting, it's an interesting situation. If you're, if you're a McKinsey, um, it, then you have enough clients from enough different sectors that it makes sense to, in a way, like crunch all the data, because even if it's not right for this particular use case with this particular client, there could be one later in the year or next year who could use it. So you're not losing the money in, in, and so it's a it's a lovely it's a lovely advantage of scale which perhaps an investor doesn't have because a they want to keep it secret and b you know they they they're a team of you know it's a smaller team so so they can't map the whole market it, perhaps there's an advantage there in 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 the McKinsey's case yeah and and, and mark we've we've really brought this to life and that's really what my team does uh, in many cases we have what we consider a data uh, strategists or data scouts who focus on a particular domain, and they be, they create a map uh, of the different data providers uh, and potential partners in that space, and we understand then you know what are the use cases that the data can be applied to. We go understand the details of the data too. How large are the panels? How granular do they get? Um, you know where do they skew, uh, and then. You know, we see a variety of different data, uh, different client problems, and one data source may not be the right data set for every single consumer question that we have. We have over a dozen that we turn to for different types of questions. And by the way, geographically, 
we start to see, well, you know, in North America, there's many rich data sources. I think we're starting to see more uh, crop up around the world. Uh, but there are definitely parts of the world where there's a lack of data too. And so these data scouts and strategists are, are our experts. They're advising our teams. Um, and they're also leveraging what Doug mentioned are some of those uh, platforms to accelerate and enrich at scale. They're also leveraging experts in the space as well, because there are experts out there who have uh, profiled the data and they understand the skew and they've created reports. And with a quick conversation with some of those experts, we can, we can instead of our team having to go and redo all that analysis, we can go talk to one of those uh, partners of ours and get that information pretty quickly. And so a combination of all three is really what helps us accelerate. Mm, I can, I can, I can see it. Um, from a um, from a data perspective, you're kind of you have a huge capacity to um, ingest essentially kind of data sets and 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 kind of in a way sort the wheat from the chaff. Which, but that kind of le- leads to my next question, which is, um, I mean, do you see some data sets as intrinsically better than others is there such thing as the perfect data set and if so what do you prize more highly and what do you see as you know what you're looking for in in a data set as saying this has got a lot of value this is a it's an interesting question um and i think from our perspective you know given that our objective is to help our clients really achieve impact right do do what they do but do it better um I don't think that what we're on the hunt for is the, you know, best data or data product for a particular um, application, because I think we strongly believe there, there are different recipes of data that lend themselves to, you know, impact in different situations and the recipes evolve. Uh, What might have worked in a particular application in insurance two or three years ago may not work today for a variety of reasons. It could be regulatory in nature. It could be that the underlying economics or the underlying trends within that particular line of insurance have changed. So I would argue there are, you know, there are data products that tend to be of high quality because they have, um, you know, limited number of outliers and their, the match rates uh, and hit rates as applied in different ways are fairly high. But it's rare to find any, you know, particular data product that's outperforming everything else and, and is there silver bullet. I, I often say there's no silver bullets in this particular world, whether it be on the AI or data or the confluence. What you, be, you, you should be looking for is uh, what is the recipe? What is the combination of data products that build upon themselves, that augment each other, <clears throat> that then create an outsized performance for whatever it is you're trying to perform to, to, to produce or otherwise predict? And then how do you build, like we talked about a few minutes ago, that machinery so that you can be on the lookout for what may be the next really powerful data source to include in that recipe that's going to evolve over time. And, and, what, and Mark, one, one point I'd like to add on there is on the individual data set, and I completely agree with Doug, it, it's the combination often of data sets that produce some insight in the marketplace or in an analytic model, et cetera, versus one individually. Now, that being said, you know, data... There's no one perfect data source or data provider in any case. I do think about it across two dimensions. One is how unique is the data? So how available 
like how many data providers are in that space, how differentiated that data is. And then on the other dimension, I think about how many situations can the data be applied to uh, in combination with other data sources, but how many situations do I foresee that this data will be used for? And then there's many data sets that aren't very differentiated and won't be applied very often. There's some data sets that are highly differentiated and can be applied to many use cases. And, and then segmenting, segmenting and then determining from that point forward, you know, what is the best approach to partner with that organization and create a model where uh, it's it's a win for our clients and it's a win for uh, for, for the firm and it's a win for that for that organization as well, quite frankly. So, and, and the, because what, what you realize is that there are some data sources that are really, really unique. They're really specialized, but they can only be applied to maybe a handful of use cases. Well, we want to have relationships with those data providers. We just won't be using them every single day, but we know that there's a place for them. It's just a question of how often will they truly be used? This chimes a lot with um, with something which talked a lot of in kind of alternative data circles, which is kind of a mosaic theory, which is that um, you're building the mosaic. So actually everything has its place in the mosaic. So data is is all useful. And as you say, the differentiation is great because you get to fill in other parts of the picture that, that aren't, 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 aren't filled in already. So it's, it's, it all sounds it all sounds very familiar. Um, Another thing. So, so moving on. So, um, Doug, you're Mr. Insurance, um, and insurance has a lot of has a lot of um, history in data analytics, and it's almost where it came from uh, as a as a history. But sector wise, insurance um, we can talk about as well. But other other some sectors that are more conducive to the use of external data to solve company problems and extract value, and there are other sectors which are less conducive. Do you find that you're always going back to, I don't know, the retail clients and they you're doing you're doing external data for them and not the, I don't know, the the aerospace clients? Is it does it break down like that? In talking to my colleagues, I think you might kind of stratify things a little bit around there's financial services where one could argue there's a lot of opportunity for um, alternative and external data to have impact. Uh, in a variety of different ways. And then as you start to get into other sectors, again, I think there is tremendous opportunity, maybe just in different forms and at different scale. Um, You know, in healthcare, there are lots of situations where external data is informing how healthcare is delivered, how prescriptions are being, or how pharmaceuticals are being developed. So I'll hand this off to Mahabad to chime in. And we at the firm, we have organized in a way where our, our different practices, often either by functional by function or by industry, have data leaders. And those data leaders know the data sets that matter uh, and you know create data assets around there. So for example, in our pharmaceutical space, in our healthcare space, in our um, global energy and material space. So we have many of these different leaders who specialize and then know those data sets and how they can be applied. But in addition to that, I mean, I kind of taking a zooming out a bit, there are a number of spaces just agnostic of industry where external data can be valuable. And let me just walk you through a couple of those types of areas. One is on customer analytics, both on B2B and B2C standpoints, you know, leveraging some of the, the fast moving data now that's uh, like intent data, for example, or technographic type of data. Sorry, Mohammed, you're going to have to unpack those intent data and technographic data. <laughs> uh, great question. Yeah, intent data. So there are there are organizations now that create content networks or work with a number of content networks. 
to understand the topics that are being researched. And based off those topics, you can identify, you know, which organizations are interested in or investigating, you know, certain types of SaaS products or financial products or whatnot. And that can actually be highly uh, effective in understanding, you know, how you prioritize your sales. Um, And technographics are also helpful because you can go and you can look at from an outside in perspective, what are the you know, the JavaScript, you know, the, the JavaScript um, elements on a, on, a, on a company's website and understand what services they're using. And based off that, you can get a sense of their technical maturity, how often they are updating their website, um, for example. Um, all of these are signals in terms of how agile an organization is, how technically, uh, um, technologically advanced and, you know, what their mindset may be. On, on the on the on the other side, on the customer analytics side, there's a number of consumer data sets too. Understanding how consumer trends are shifting, um, and I think we're all familiar with a number of the new alternative data sets on the on the consumer side. I, I will I do want to say though, it is really 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 important that as you look at the consumer space, that you keep an eye. At least we keep a, a keen eye on um, from from a from a risk uh, and data ethics standpoint you know, how the data is being collected. Because it is really important that the consumers uh, are opting in to any services uh, which are collecting any data um, and that they're being sufficiently aggregated too, even when they opt in such that, you know, the data can be used in aggregate for insights, but it can't be used in a way um, that could impact any individual in an adverse way. Yeah, so that's just customer analytics. There's a ton on strategic analytics too benchmarking your talent, identifying strategic product improvement opportunities, looking at social media data, on operations and forecasting. This is a fast-growing space, specifically on forecasting. There's a lot of external information that impacts what your forecasts look like. Most organizations use primarily their previous, you know, their previous sales data to forecast what's going to happen in the future and previous operations data to forecast what's going to happen in the future. Well, it turns out like with COVID and others, it's, it's a much better idea, actually, to use external data, build driver-based analyses based off some of those external data sources, and then build forecasting algorithms um, that are much closer linked to what are the demand drivers in your organization. And then finally, on risk management, um, understanding you know, your suppliers, understanding ultimate beneficial ownership, the parent-subsidiary relationships, also looking and understanding um, risks in your in your supply chain or with your customers using you know news data others so there's a whole number of dimensions where external data can be leveraged regardless of what industry or function you're in well look, you know there's a, there's a really interesting use case uh, where a, a consumer products company um, used external data to, to map their supply chain but in, in many cases, not to from a competitive standpoint, but really from a social good standpoint, understanding um, where their products were coming from ultimately, and understanding it's linked to you know deforestation, uh, and you know, and and I think you know there's so many applications uh, where it's not just spying on people, and I I, I don't honestly I, I don't I don't see it that way actually I see it as as opportunities to um, to understand like how many, I mean, just think for a moment around, even with COVID now, 
you have, um, you let's say you produce a product, right, or service, or you have a product, and you are buying something from a supplier, and that supplier is buying something from someone else, and that supplier is buying someone from someone else. Now, it is, it is, it is actually really tough to create that entire chain. Um, but if it were possible for you to have visibility into where where your supply chain has these types of risks because there is a you know manufacturer that is either doing something that you know you're not copacetic with uh, or because they have some supply issues and you need to figure out how but that's what ultimately impact you downstream I mean we're seeing that right now quite frankly with uh, with you know we're seeing this in the automotive space there's not enough CPUs there's supply issues etc if you had visibility into this um, it would solve quite a bit of problems. Now, the, the reality is, is for those types of challenging problems, I don't think that there's a perfect external data source that maps all that together. Um, the deforestation one, you can understand with satellite imagery and you know, kind of tracking how your different supply chain partners, like where they ship from and go to, et cetera. It's a little bit harder to do that with like screws and CPUs and other inputs like that. Or you could, or you could, like there are there are others which check what the local news in Indonesia is saying about your supplier there in case, you know, they're, doing, they're up to no good somehow. But you may only know your own suppliers. You may not know your supplier suppliers and your supplier supplier yeah. suppliers. And this is where these ecosystems become powerful, where you start to say, we, we want to have an ecosystem going across many suppliers, understand where our product is ultimately coming from, and then understand those risks. Um, and, and look, I mean, it's, it, at that point, it is external data, but now it's, a, it's, a, it's more of a data ecosystem with a number of partners that you have to set up. Uh, we have, as as is traditional in in these days, we have stumbled onto ESG, which every conversation seems to end up in ESG <laughs> these days. But um, but I, I completely, I'm with you. I completely understand, and and it is the it's the sensible thing to do to be looking ahead, you know, and 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 looking out for the next problem down the line, and and so you do need to protect yourself. I mean, I do think it's a great point, though, that as you're thinking about the use of data. There are certain things that are going to give you an advantage from a risk standpoint. There are certain things that can help you make some strategic decisions. I do think it's important for any user of data to keep in mind two things. One is, how was the data sourced and do you feel good about the way it was sourced? And the second is, how are you using the data and do you feel good about the use of this data? If someone were to find that you're using this data and and, and, you know, you wouldn't feel good about what you're doing with it, whether it be an analytic model or whatnot, then I think there's a real question. And I think organizations now are starting to create these data ethics boards and data review boards, um, understanding the data they use in addition to how they're applying the data. Yeah, I agree. Um, linked to this, and I think an interesting, um, just uh, another another theme is is the risk management one, which we've kind of touched on in general, which is about um, the idea of, of choosing a data supplier and getting yourself tied into it. And then regulation changes or something like that happens in such a fast moving and, 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 and fast growing sector. Regulation is obviously um, working to keep up. Um, and so there's a risk that, you know, what your data supplier is doing is, is kind of falls foul of a new law or whatever. Um, do you, do you have any thoughts on how to mitigate against that? Do you see that as a major risk? How does, how does one keep ahead of the regulation? Is this something you think about? It, it's certainly something we think about and certainly something our clients think about. Um, 
thinking about it and effectively managing it are, are two different things. Uh, we, we see many clients with an active dialogue around this, but constructing an effective mechanism and a, you know, a series of processes that work to ensure that as the organization is working to use and incorporate external data into their function, um, they're also assessing the relative risk and then devising ways to manage um, and mitigate that risk. That is a real challenge. And I think also um, complicated because the goalposts or whatever you know analogy you want to use, they're always moving. Regulators are going to change their mind. They're going to come up with new thoughts. They're going to be influenced by what's happening in the social arena. So it's, you know, I think it would be hard and a bit foolhardy to try to predict where the regulator is going to go. That said, one could argue the trend is likely to be more regulation, not less. Uh, and so what do you do? Uh, as an example, um, there's an open question in the US as to whether the use of credit scores is going to be continued to be allowed uh, in the process of issuing insurance products. Uh, already a few states don't allow that. And there are a few companies that have tried to sort of project on this and say, well, we're not going to use it. We commit that in the future, we're going to remove that because we believe it's not fair. So there's a it's a complicated uh, kind of area it, 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 what we are, you know, talking about with our clients is how do you get started on this? You know, how do you start to implement some basic processes and some basic checks to ensure that the way that the organization is moving forward is on a path that's sustainable and safe? So part of this is, you know, identifying the internal processes that need to have a little bit of a check or a little bit of safeguard. Um, so I was working with one uh, chief risk officer. And what she was really trying to do was, you know, put into place some basic safeguards from a procedural standpoint, so that as different parts of the organization were using external data products, there was a vetting process so that they had an opportunity to just see what is this data? Where is it coming from? How do we understand the provenance of the data? Is there any sort of consent um, involved in the generation of the data? Is that being managed properly? And then how are we using it, right? Where are we uh, integrating it? What type of model are we using it for? Um, so so there are you know ways to sort of put in some boundaries around this and to kind of control it. But really one of the sort of more fundamental things is an internal, um, whatever you want to call it, a gut check, which is to Muhammad's point, would uh, you know, our customers be comfortable with the knowledge that we're using this data in the process of producing our product or delivering the service? It's kind of like, could you look someone in the eye and tell them what you're doing with their data with, with a smile on your face type thing? They're going to be happy about that. Exactly. I, I like to, to sort of put a premise together with our clients to say, look, think of it as a little bit of a, you know, a, a target. In the middle of the target, is a green area, which is data that you would argue you're comfortable using, your customers would say is reasonable to use. There are no regulatory or ethical considerations. On the outer ring of this target is a red zone where for one reason or another, the data that you're considering is not eligible for use. It could be an ethical consideration. It could be a regulatory restriction. Um, it could be something that, that you know violates sort of a core value. Then you have this middle ring, which is a gray area. And 
to your point earlier, Mark, <clears throat> this is where it makes sense to start to build a bit of a library of data and data products. So you have an understanding of what's out there in the ecosystem and you know what what ha- what what potential does it have and how would you potentially use this information? It's not that to say you are using it. It's a little bit of I'm building up this inventory so that I understand what what options I have. And then if I decide to use it, I have to answer these hard questions before I move further. That's great. Um, okay, so I think a, I think quite a few alternative data providers uh, listen to this uh, podcast. I, I hope. I, I think I do. Um, so I just wonder if if you two have any advice for an alternative data provider who is trying to diversify perhaps into the corporate space and 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 kind of open up this this avenue, this kind of external data avenue. Is there anything they can do to make their data more attractive? And what is the best way to kind of approach, um, you know, selling their goods to the corporate corporate um, sector? Yeah, let me let me uh, offer a couple of suggestions here. So the first uh, is, uh, you know, ping me, <laughs> or ping members of my team, right? I think it's always good to to learn uh, more about different uh, data providers in the space and. Also, uh, think about how they can work with with us uh, in in providing impact for our clients. But the other thing to keep in mind is most um, organizations, you know, they don't know how to just um, consume data in its raw form uh, because they don't know what use case it can be applied to. And that's why, um, you know, I, I think there's there's um, Oren Hoffman published a great. Um, article slash um, blog on, called the data as a service Bible. And he goes into all of the ins and outs of looking at the data value chain and knowing that, you know, you're kind of a piece of that entire chain. And imagine someone is producing a croissant and, you know, um, the data provider is a butter and there's different types of butter and some have higher quality, but at the end of the day, the croissant is being made. And so the question is, do you know, the croissant that's being made? Do you know what the use case is, what the out- outcome is going to be? And can you position your data around the particular use case where the data is going to be valuable? So that's one. Oh, that's a second piece uh, in addition to working with us. The third piece is data accessibility matters. And there are different approaches by which organizations use data. In some cases, they want the raw data feeds, uh, especially more mature data science teams, data engineering teams. They're looking for the raw data feeds. But there are many parts of the organization, especially when you get to teams that are just trying to make strategic decisions, maybe they don't have the level of skills to work with the raw data or to clean up the data, et cetera. They're looking for simpler tools that help them slice and dice, look at the data uh, easily so they can just go make a decision. And the idea is trying to reduce friction whenever possible in, in the use of the data. And again, it's really important to know your customer base and to know you know, which customers, you know, need a, a, a you know, a friction-free experience, which ones just want the raw data to integrate into, you know, the, the models or the services that they're trying to provide. That sounds really familiar just because on the, on the, on the hedge fund side, then the quants are the guys who want the pure data and just the, just give us the data stream and perhaps some of the discretionary ones appreciate if you extract some of the insights and, you know, guide them a little bit. So it sounds like a, um, it sounds very familiar. And I would air again, it, 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 it depends on who in the organization you're in touch with. Ultimately, like if you think about who makes a data purchasing decision, um, 
it's it's likely going to be uh, the combo of a data leader within the organization whose team is going to help support it, but largely sponsored by some business stakeholder that sees that, hey, if we use this data, it's going to make some difference in the way we we, we run our organization. And uh, often if there isn't a, a, a big data science team that's going to be doing analysis on it, and it's going to be a business team that's going to be using that data, then those front-end tools matter a lot. Uh, if if the primary consumer is going to be that data science team, then you know then you, you don't necessarily need to invest in that. Yeah, I um, I I think of this paradigm actually in fairly simplistic terms, but that doesn't mean this is simple. I, I, as I talk to different organizations that are developing data products or want to come to market with a with a brand new data product, <clears throat> I really boil down to: Do you understand what you're producing and who's going to consume that? really like the fundamentals really matter here because it is a crowded landscape. Um, it is one in, 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 in many cases where the customers don't really understand what they're looking for. It's sort of, it's like, I'll know it when I see it kind of thing. <clears throat> and you really have to understand who you're like, what's the, what is, what's the sales process going to look like? What am I trying to convince the person on the other side of the table about how this data is going to help solve this problem? Can I make that connection simple in their mind? So as you think about developing data products, really invest the time to ensure that the value proposition is very, very clear and who would actually be purchasing it is very clear in your mind. So you don't waste time talking to somebody who either isn't going to understand or ultimately isn't the decision maker. And again, that sounds very simple, but I think with data products in particular, I feel like a lot of times I hear um, value propositions that are very broad in nature. And I think that that creates a bit of a challenge in getting folks to understand, well, is this going to solve my problem, which is actually pretty specific? Because what you're talking about is, you know, world hunger. I have this one problem. So really getting crisp on that, I think it lends itself to more success. I think it is really important that the data providers also know their space in the sense that they know all the other players and they have a sense of how they're differentiated relative to others. As Doug mentioned, the space is evolving very quickly. There's, the ecosystem is pretty broad. For some more mature categories in the alternative data space, you know, there's, there are a handful of players and transactions, et cetera, whatever. But in more nascent spaces, I think it is worth doing and investigating and understanding what are your key differentiation points. Because I think most sophisticated now, as Doug mentioned rightly, I think many people are new to it, but even though they're new, they're going to want to do some discovery and look at the landscape. Uh, they're going to start assessing and they're going to start assessing the different data sources. And you should try to find out how you stack up against some of the other data sets in the space. Yeah. Okay. I think that's really useful. I think it's a really, really um, holistic um, advice. So I'm, I'm sure that'll be much appreciated. Finally, final question for you both um, is, and it, it may be a hard one to answer, but you're you're coming from the world of, of external data, um, which is, you know, the entire, the potential is the entire corporate world. Alternative data um, is, uh, so the, the, the attempts to quantify it and the attempts to quantify the potential growth. There was one a research note out last year by, by a company called Grandview Research, I believe, which estimated or, or calculated the alternative data market to be about $1.7 billion 
in size and in 10 years it could kind of grow to 17 billion dollars or something like that it was that kind of and it was 40 percent compound annual growth um and there's a question and an, an internal question of um where's that growth going to come from in terms of where does the expansion is it is it just going to be hedge funds or is it going to be expanding into you know wider asset management but another potential route is into into the corporate side you know there's a there's a whole corporate e ecosystem out there as we've discussed of um you know companies and and people who appreciate um ingesting external data so my question is i mean those do those numbers sound incredibly piddly to you and in terms of the opportunity, like is the corporate, the external data ecosystem, I mean, is it is it just going to dwarf anything alternative data does and it just alternative data just ends up kind of absorbed into this, this is the corporate game just going to be gigantic and we're just at the beginning or do they, is it sitting, sitting alongside? Mark, you know, you know, I think for probably a lot of smaller you know, data companies, you know, they see the friction and the, the blocking and tackling and they see some of the growth and some, some other organizations are growing at much even faster speeds. Um, and so the question is, you know, what truly is the market size? What is it going to get to? And, it, you know, I don't I don't have a, a number and I've seen many different numbers. I've, I've seen another number, which is like the number of data sources and how that's growing. And maybe you could you could try to extrapolate in a bottoms up way that type of approach. I do believe overall that this space will be a, a big trend in the data and analytics space. It's going to continue to grow um, at, at, a, at a nice clip, in my opinion. And I think we're still in very much in the early days. I think Doug mentioned we're like, it's still the Wild West. It very much is. We're seeing now, you're seeing all the big tech companies invest in building data marketplaces, trying to streamline the ability for organizations to even test and use data. You're seeing more maturity. These are all signs of an industry that's growing up. I think the hedge funds have the dollars, they're spending the most today. I think there are two avenues where we're gonna see the, the, the most growth. I think we're actually gonna to start to see more and more AI data analytics software companies embedding data into their services and into whatever insights types of applications that they build. Um, and, and the more and more, as you see, kind of like, you know, software eats the world, well, data is going to get embedded into that. And I think if you are a data provider, you should be thinking about that too. Who are the tech companies that you should be partnering with or the startups in the tech space that you should be partnering with? The second is absolutely the corporates. The corporates will be uh, growing. They're, they, they're maturing more. You know, you look at how they're investing in data and analytics, generally speaking, uh, I do think we're going to see rapid growth there. And you feel, and we we're just at the beginning from a corporate side. Like it's, it feels early. Very much at the beginning. I use the I use the fuel paradigm uh, when I think about this because I I consider data to be fuel for all of the AI related innovation that's happening um, in all the industries, and. I do believe that the demand for this fuel is only going to increase. Uh, it, you know, it, you think about a lot of this, a lot of these industries, it's a, it's a game of inches. I need to be, you know, marginally better than my competitors to win. So I need to eke out more from my, you know, predictive capabilities, however, in whatever form they might take to do that. I need more fuel. 
uh, along with you know better algorithms and better technology. But I I got to find the fuel, and often that means can I find more and different kinds of data that gives me an edge. So a I agree. Uh, you know the corporate in, in you know corporates will continue to be looking for that fuel and be investing in that. And I also agree with Mohammed in that uh, if I were out there having a data product, I'd be looking for multiple channels. And one of the big ones is, and we've already seen some of this consolidation, incorporating that into kind of the library or catalog or um, set of data products that are you know already inside these different technology platforms. Um, we're seeing more and more of that. And I think that's going to be a very viable channel because it it is it solves one of the big problems, which is I want to go build predictive capabilities or otherwise solve a predictive problem. I got a piece of technology. Great if they come and say, hey, we in version 6.0, we've now incorporated these 72 data products. You know, here's the cost. Here's the way we're going to manage the cost. But it's all there. And it's so totally streamlined into the, the model development process. Awesome. All right, so that that, but I think the the if I just think about AI is growing at ex, at, at a exponential rate. In order for that to be sustained, it's going to need the fuel, and the fuel is the data. Lovely. I think that's a really good, uh, really good note to end on. So, so thank you very much, both, and um, hopefully we'll we'll maybe we'll have you on another day in the future. Thank you for having us. Super. Thank you, Mark.